0: open your Bibles. Hopefully you already have them open to Romans chapter 14. We're going to continue our, um, our walk through the book of Romans and uh, hopefully you were with us last week. Uh, I, I am actually really excited about the passage we're studying. It has huge implications and reverberations that, uh, that go through the church. They, the, the passage I think is challenging Uh, on many levels, Um, one of which is a challenge to kind of understand exactly what's going on and how to apply that to our current day and age. And we'll get into that uh, a little bit in a minute. But I just wanted, for the sake of uh, being able to enter here uh, in the middle of this chapter, just review just a little bit about what's going on. That there was a a dispute of, of some level that had arisen in the church at Rome, where Paul was writing this letter. And you have uh, folks, uh, Jewish folks, who um, who were saved, Christians, good Christian brothers and sisters, who were abstaining from eating meat. They were eating only vegetables, it tells us, in the beginning of this chapter. And you had others in the church who Paul says, rightly, were eating all things, all edible foods. Um, I should say, and eating meat and not observing certain days. And and Paul says, hey, look, to the strong, you are right for doing this because nothing is unclean in and of itself. In fact, Jesus taught in the New Testament it wasn't what comes into us that defiles us. It's what's in our heart uh, that defiles us. And so Paul, in writing, uh, writes to the weak in faith and the strong in faith. And the weak in faith are those brothers and sisters who are abstaining from meat for the purpose of um, being holy, uh, for the purpose of uh, um, living in such a way in which they feel brings more honor and glory to God. And so that's kind of what's there. And if you remember from last week, and this is so vitally important, so vitally important, we've got to remember what Paul is not talking about. The the folks that were not eating meat, these were not Judaizers like we see in the book of Galatians. Paul strongly condemns Judaizers. That is, people that were saying, in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian, you've got to do these certain practices. Uh, This was not a major doctrinal issue. In fact, in verse 1 of chapter 14, Paul calls the, the disputable matter, he calls it opinions there. It's also not major moral issues. And so we can't do a one-for-one comparison here um, over moral distinctions. Paul is very clear in his condemnation of moral issues. And we think about, in particular, sexual issues that were going on within the church. Even within this book, uh, Paul makes some very moral distinctions at the beginning regarding things like homosexuality. So that's not what's going on here. That's not what Paul is talking about. And the other key here is that Paul what he's doing is he's giving us a way, he's giving us a way to think, a way to feel, a way to act that's relegated to this certain group of people here in Rome in this church and so he's talking about your fellowship together on how to relate, how to how to interact with one another in in a way that's 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 important. And so, it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult because when we hear a message like this, we want to try to dig in and give a one-for-one comparison like uh, the drinking of alcohol or the not drinking of alcohol. School choice, whether or not I should watch TV or that sort of thing. And nothing fits that neatly. However, I think when we, I think when we listen and when we see what Paul is discussing and we see the attitude that we are to have towards one another, it's greatly beneficial. And, I said last week, and I want to say it again, that I think Paul gives us these principles for two reasons. And one is that there are always going to be opinions and debatable issues in the church as long as there are sinners in the church. And there will always be sinners in the church until we're taken home to glory. The other thing I want to point out here is, uh, and I'll point this out again maybe later, uh, in next week I definitely will, is that um, um, I think when we read this passage, we like to come away and uh, like to always think that we're in the position of the strong. And what I want to tell you is, is that on any given issue, you're probably the weaker brother. That if we were to give a diagram, uh, one book that I read recently had a diagram of triangles, (laughs) and what it showed was a main center triangle, which was... uh, 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 people who were always on the right side of an issue, and that's nobody. <laughs> and then these overlapping triangles, and in different areas of that triangle, we're all at different places. So it's sometimes you're the stronger brother, sometimes you're the weaker brother, and so it's important for us to know that <laughs> as we look at this text, so we know how to live and 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 to interrelate uh, with one another. Now, I I call I'm calling this a secondary issue. The, what's going on in the church? We could. We could parse that out differently if we wanted to, but for the sake of our time together, that's what I'm calling it. And over the next two weeks, we're going to look at how are we to relate to one another. This week we're going to talk about, "Out of love, the strong are commanded not to eat." Next week, next week, we will look at um, we will really be looking at, what in the world does verse 15 mean? Let me read this verse to you. "For if because of food, your brother is hurt." You are no longer walking according to love. Here's the part we're going to emphasize next week. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Uh, I was going to fit all this into this week, and as I was studying, uh, I just felt there was no way to do so. So next week, we'll, we'll talk about what in the world does Paul mean by don't destroy. So this week, this week we're going to jump in and look at Um, How the stronger brother is to relate with the weaker brother. And there's something that we've got to understand when we're looking at this text. There's a theme that runs throughout this text that I think in our modern minds, not speaking uh, Greek or reading in Greek, that we miss. And I want to really bring out because it's it's behind this text. First of all, let's turn back uh, to chapter 14, verse 1. And I want to show you how we, 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 we miss this in verse 1 and in verse 3. It says, Now accept, and your translations may have a different word there, the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Verse 3, The one who eats is to not regard with contempt the one who does not eat, for the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him or welcomed him as some translations uh, translate that. The word here in Greek, and this is important, the word here in Greek, when it says to accept, what it is meaning is to welcome one into one's presence, or probably better, to welcome one into one's home. You see, it's, it's no small thing that Paul is talking about food issues here, and behind these food issues, he's talking about accepting and welcoming one another at this level of hospitality, at this level of fellowship, breaking bread, eating together. If, 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 the, if the early Christians weren't eating together, fellowshipping with one another, welcoming one another in one's homes, then this whole issue of eating meat really wouldn't be an issue. They would just do what we do. And that is is that we would come to church and kind of divide amongst ourselves over secondary issues and we don't really have to talk about them. We just kind of grumble against one another. But here, here there's this idea of fellowship and hospitality. So it's not a mere tolerating, it's accepting, welcoming them in, welcoming them at your table, fellowshipping with one another. Um, Think uh, growth groups at your home. Think get-togethers. Think um, wanting people over at your house. And, and then notice this. This becomes very important. Notice in verse 3, when it's saying, don't regard with contempt the one who doesn't eat. but The one who does eat is not to judge the one who eats. And notice this. This is vitally important for our study this morning. For God has accepted him. Brother and sister in the Lord, there is nothing greater than I can tell you if you are a believer this morning than God has welcomed you. And God welcoming you is not a mere um, justification by faith. That's part of it, right? That we've studied in the book of Romans that you are justified, so you are in But this is a God welcoming you into fellowship with Him as a son and daughter out of love for you, not only here, but in eternity. And so what the text is telling us is this, if God has welcomed you, how can you not welcome one of your brothers and sisters in the Lord in the same way? And we've got to have this Um, as we look this morning. So let me tell you a secret. And I've already said this, but I want to say it again because it's important. God has welcomed you, and your theology is not perfect. God has welcomed you, and the way that you live out your faith isn't perfect. I'm always touched when I read uh, the... uh, book of first corinthians and was there this morning in uh, devotional time and i'm always touched that this group of people who had so many things wrong that god in his welcoming of them calls them saints and beloved (laughs) it's amazing god welcomes us even though it's not perfect now I know we always go back to chapter 12, and we need to go back to chapter 12 again, and I'm going to read several verses because I want you to hear again the context in which this is written. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, notice, it, notice this idea of welcome and loving uh, our brethren and accepting them. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, And then start listening here. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the perfect will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, don't think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith, for just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Then look at verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. In verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality and again in verse 16 be of the same mind toward one another do not be haughty in mind but associate with the lowly do not be wise in your own estimation and then verse in chapter 13 verses 8 through ten, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying: You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It's easy to see the context is that we are to love, we are to accept, we are to fellowship with one. Another, And this is the goal of the renewed mind, is that we are to be able to love and care for one another. We're not to ignore. We're not to shun. And we're not to separate those whom we disagree with. Because it is much easier to be unified with people whom you line up with on nearly everything. But as we read this, we see, as we read these verses, we see that we are to love one another. We are to welcome one another. And we are to be in one body. And we are to do this sacrificially. And if we had time this morning and we don't, we'd look at 1 Corinthians where it talks about, in chapter 13, where it talks, this is not a marriage passage, by the way, where it talks about love in the body. And it says love is things like patient, bearing with, one another. In Galatians chapter 5, it tells us to be slaves to one another in love. In Ephesians chapter 5 as well, it tells us to be looking out for one another. And so, how do we do this in this context? And the first thing we see in verse 13 is this. And there's a word play here. Literally, this would read more like this Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore but rather judge this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. There's a word play there. And so the first thing of how we do this, how we love one another when we disagree over secondary issues, is that we don't judge one another. We don't put a stumbling block. This does not mean that we don't debate things or have conversations about differences of opinion, but it means that we do this from a position of love and Uh, from a position of trying to work through differences, not a position of, I've got to be right. Because we're going to talk next week, (laughs) next week, we're going to talk about conscience. Listen to this. But he who doubts the weaker brother is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. Whole nother issue for next week. (laughs) But what I want to say is, is when we're Having these disagreements over secondary issues, we've got to come and we've got to not judge. And the key is that we've got to love and we've got to value. We've got to see the worth in our brother. And it's got to be displayed in our interactions. We can't be judgmental. We can't be snooty. We can't talk behind their backs or isolate ourselves from them. So the first thing is don't judge. The second thing, it says don't put a stumbling block in their way. And by this, what Paul is saying to the strong, he's saying don't put a stumbling block, don't eat the meat. You see, the strong who know that it's right, that all food is clean and you can do whatever you want, what Paul is saying here is the strong have two options. The weak only have one option. And so for the sake of getting along, Paul says, don't eat the meat. Don't put that stumbling block in your brother's way. Again, next week, we will look at how in the world would eating the meat, uh, in this instance, put a stumbling block there. We will look at that next week. Rather, Paul says in verse 16, look at this. Therefore, do not let what is good for you, that is what for you a good thing, be spoken of as evil. Use your freedom to love your brother. First, let's look at verse 17, 20, and 21 real quick. For the kingdom of God... Notice the motivation here. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again in verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean... But they are evil for a man who eats and it gives offense. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which causes your brother to stumble. So in other words, what Paul is telling us is you're the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, your relationship with your brother, unity within the body is better than food. Oh, I... Wow. Hope that we can love our brothers and sisters this way. And I know what you're thinking and we'll get there in a minute. So just bear with me. Look at the third thing. In verse 18 and 19. Then, in order how we love like this, we need, know, um, we need to know something that's brought out in this text in a wonderful way. So let's look at verse 18 and 19. For he who in this way serves Christ... Is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So notice, one of the reasons we do this is that it says, in this way, sacrificially. In this way, God loved us, Christ loved us, that he gave himself up for us. Jesus did not deserve to die. Think about all that Christ gave up for us. And we are to do that in this way. That that we can carry forth. This is the mark that we have been saved. This is the mark of our Savior. That in this way we can give up for the sake of our brother. Notice the other thing here. It's not just serving the person. Notice that it says that we are serving who? Who? Christ and one another. That by not putting a stumbling block in your brother's way, by seeking unity over secondary issues, even when your brother is not right in his opinions, by giving that up, that you are not only serving your brother, but you're serving Christ. And notice, notice it says that you are acceptable to God. Now, Here's something glorious. This is the third time in this section that this word is there's a word that's translated acceptable. This is not the same word, this is a different word. Here, and get this here, this word acceptable means giving pleasure or satisfaction. Your love for your brother, your sacrifice for your brother, you're putting him above you. When you do that, God looks at you in satisfaction and in joy and says, well done, well done. Is that a motivation for you? The love of Christ, wanting our Savior to look at us as a son or daughter and say, well done, I am pleased with you. And I want to say this right off the bat, and I had last night... I had steak. You're gasping. And the love and acceptance of our Savior now and in what's to come is better than steak. And we've got to believe this. (laughs) Because it is. Now, here's where I asked you to hold on a minute ago. And I'm going to fly through some of this. This does not mean that the weaker brother controls the church. Because those of you who are thinking logically could say, Oh, okay, well then the weaker brother can control the church because, man, in the day in which we live, people find issue with almost everything. Right? And what I'm telling you, what I've told you from the get-go, there's not a one-for-one comparison here. And so what I want to lay out... I want to give some examples, one from last week to bring home, and then a couple of examples of things that we do uh, here, uh, or one, one other silly example, and then some examples of things we do here to kind of hopefully uh, flesh this out a little bit. And so last week, you know, I brought up the issue of school choice and how you could have, you could easily say, for the glory of God, have three different school choices, right? If, if, we read this text and said, okay, this means that the weaker brother controls the church. Then what I would be doing this morning is handing out enrollment forms to all of you who have elementary school kids to single-mountain Christian school because to not offend me, you'd be sending your kids there. That's not what we're talking about, right? It's not what we're talking about. Another example would be this. There are some people who feel like that there is nothing worthy on a television set and you just need to throw the thing out and you shouldn't have a TV in your house. And there's strong convictions there and there's nothing wrong with that conviction. But what I'm not doing is arguing that all of you have to throw your TV out. What I would be arguing for you to do is if you had people over to your house that you just may leave the TV off while they're there. So, the weak person's Preferences or issues don't dictate how we run the church. However, it is wrong to belittle, to degrade, or to trample over somebody who may hold these opinions. And so what we have to do is learn from a heart of love, from a heart that seeks unity, from a heart that wants fellowship with this brother of how to negotiate these issues to where it doesn't become a stumbling block and we're able to walk in unity with one another and disagree over certain things. Because as we saw, if we look again in verse 15, it says, For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love, do not destroy with food him for whom Christ died. And so practically here, practically here, I'm going to use my school issue again and then give you two other examples. But practically, if, if I held that position that you've got to send your kids to uh, Christian uh, schools, then what I think we need to be doing with each other is that we need to be having conversations and we need to give one another grace in these conversations. We need to affirm the weaker brothers' good points in their arguments. We need to be able to affirm that. And we also need to be continually extending fellowship that's not for the purpose of judging that brother. For many of us, when we get invited to coffee, we view it as a setup. <laughs> and go to coffee for coffee's sake. Unless you don't think you should be drinking coffee, and then we'll have to figure that out. I want to give you an example um, of this in, uh, uh, on... Uh, on my days off, and this may have been even before I was at the, it was before I was at the church, I a, uh, a, a do counseling slash chaplaincy work in one of the places, uh, well, I won't mention the company, uh, but you all can figure it out and you already know. Um, there was a man, there's a man there that pulled me aside and said, hey, you're the new counselor they've hired here. I said, like, yeah. He said, like, I got to ask you something. He said, do you witness to people when you're doing counseling? I was like, oh, that's a great question. So I laid out, yeah, sure, you know, you've got to be careful, blah, 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 right, you know. Um, a lot of issues there. But that wasn't the issue. He was trying to hurry me through that. And so I said, okay. And he goes, okay, i got another question for you. When you witness to people, which version of the Bible do you use? And so what I did, uh, uh, this guy at his uh, machine, uh, I put my arm around him. And I said, hey, listen, I'm so glad. Now, I know this is probably not in the spirit. And I probably needed to have a better... You're going to pick up the sarcasm here. But this relationship has actually gotten really good. Um, and I meant what I said, but the first part was a little sarcastic. And that's wrong. I had to repent of that one. I said, hey, I'm so glad that you're not going to let the issue of Bible translation come in between us as brothers. Now, that's the sarcastic part because he was very much willing to let that come in between us as brothers. I said, but hey, I want to let you know something. I will at any time, we can go to lunch, we can go grab coffee, I'm willing to talk about that issue with you. Now, over the years, what I've done is I've tried to, uh, uh, I've tried to, when possible, in different things that he does, um, some of which are over the top, but I've tried to, when possible, be able to come alongside of him and thank him for his love for the Lord, for his fervency for the Lord, for his dedication to the Lord. And what's interesting is over the years, the relationship between the two of us is better, so much so that he was trying to sell me vitamins the other day, um, which is great, which is great. I didn't buy them. They were way too expensive, but he was trying to sell me vitamins. And so what I'm saying is that we've, we've you know, if he came to this, well, he would have a hard time here at this church. But if he came to this church, we're not going to change our Bible translation, but we're going to love the brother. We're going to love him. We're going to love him. Because part of the weaker brother's issues is that they're not seeing things correctly. And what our text is telling us, instead of bashing them, we are to, we are to love them and to support them, to be patient, to be kind, to be long-suffering. Loving the brother, loving the brother, the weaker brother, means having thick skin. Loving the weaker brother means having thick skin. And I think this is a characteristic trait uh, that is supposed to be in Christians that we don't uh, display or we don't have. And you see, this comes by being confident in our stance You know, I think when we're not confident in our stance or when we're not confident in our God, then we get rattled really easy. But if we're confident in our stance that there's nothing wrong with meat, then I don't have to make it an issue with someone who's saying that they're not eating meat. I just don't eat the meat. Is that? Do we get that? Now, there are issues that we need to debate. Again, these are secondary issues. There are things that if you came into here and said, hey... Uh, Lewis, no, you're not supposed to have these conversations with me. I'm the weaker brother. Yes, I know I have seven wives and I'm looking for another, but hey, weaker brother issue, leave me. No, we're going to step in as elders, we're going to pronounce a judgment, we're going to walk you through the church discipline process, right? But these are secondary issues, and we need to love one another. We need to be willing to fellowship. That needs to be the goal, and we need to see the value and the worth of the body, and As we end here, one of the things that I want to hold up that I know is that this kind of thing is messy. Welcome to church life. It's messy. It's okay. If you don't know it yet, you're a mess. And God loves you and accepts you. And so accept your brother or sister next to you who's a mess, right? That's the goal, that together in unity, with a clear conscience, we are working together for the purpose of the gospel. So, unfortunately, there's no nice formula on how to deal with each issue, but the key here is that Paul is after our heart and after our attitude and how we um, relate to one another, a, a Christian theologian and thinker, and he was actually my Greek professor, but I see him popping up in other, not not professor, he wrote the Greek textbook that I used, um, uh, wrote on this passage three things that he thought are important for us today. Number one, believers continue to differ and will continue to differ over matters that are not essential to the Christian faith. Paul did not expect for such differences to vanish. And last week, that was one of the main points that I tried to bring out. Secondly, thus, we should learn to relate to people in terms of their background and particular scruples in a loving manner. I uh, was reading a book this past week that talked about, and, and it may have been Thailand, that there was some stepping over somebody's legs was a real offense Okay, they're shaking their heads, yes. To where here, many of you would have offended a lot of Thai people as you're getting up and getting out. And some of our kids would be very offensive because they're constantly jumping up and over. And so part of that's background stuff. How not to offend uh, people from different backgrounds, different cultures. But, but we should learn to relate to people in terms of their background, particular scruples, in a loving manner. And thirdly, the unity of the church and the glory of Christ should be our ultimate goal. And I hope and pray that this is our goal of unity, of love, of acceptance, of fellowship. Again, there are issues which we must take stands, and we will take stands, these primary issues, doctrinal issues. But these secondary issues should not divide us, should not degrade our fellowship. You should not be going to lunch and to coffee Only in this body with people in whom you agree with on all issues. Man, that is awful if that's what you do, and you are missing out as well. Now, in ending, and I am ending here, the question I would have for you is do you have this type of love for your brother or sister? Does the mercy that you've been shown, the mercy that's been given to you in Christ, lead you to be merciful to others? Do you have a kingdom focus where the mark of your life is love, peace, where you know you've been accepted by God, to where your relationship with Christ and your desire for His kingdom is better than cake? or, and again, next week we're getting into a lot of other things, or does your desire to be right and for others to know that you're right on particular issue send you to a place where there's going to be disfellowship? I had a friend one time, and I am closing with this illustration, young guy, wanted to be a church planner, and, uh, and it's interesting, people want to be church planners for a lot of different reasons, and in Chattanooga, we need a lot more churches, and so uh, so I always ask, why do you want to be a church planner? And he told me, here's what he told me, he said, well, you know, the kind of church I want is one where we really emphasize Christian liberty stuff. I say Christian liberty? Yeah, yeah, you know, like You know, here in Chattanooga, you know, some people, you know, get upset if they may see you smoking a cigar or drinking a beer or or whatever. And I said, okay. And he said, Yeah, so I want to have a church where that's what we emphasize. And I said, that's stupid. (laughs) Now I knew this I knew him well. We're still really good friends, so it didn't break fellowship or unity with him. But the point was you're doing the opposite of the text. You're creating an environment to where The only people who will feel welcome are the ones who agree with you on certain Christian liberty issues. And and then he went right out. I said, no, look. You know, the fact that you just told me that you drink a craft beer on every Saturday night and smoke a cigar doesn't bother me. You're a brother in the Lord. But if that's the essence of your fellowship, then you're greatly mistaken. And if you create a fellowship in which others who don't hold those same opinions don't feel welcomed and there's disunity, then that's a problem. We want to be the kind of people, Paul is urging us to be the kind of people who have fellowship with one another, who accept one another, who commune with one another. And we're going to have disagreements. Are we able to love one another among those disagreements on secondary issues? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. God, as the sun is out today. um, I don't know why for me, but it's a little easier sometimes to rejoice as the sun's out. And God, I'm just so thankful. For who you are. God, I'm so thankful that you have given us in your word. You've showed us the importance of unity. You've showed us the importance of loving one another. You've showed us the importance of sacrificing for one another. And God, and even in this, that you tell us that in doing that, we are more like your son and that you accept us. You are pleased with us in these actions. God, help this to be motivation for us. Motivation to be more like you. God, we thank you for loving us. It's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.